Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Friendship Church, and it's great to have you with us this morning. I would love to wish you a Merry Christmas. Can you believe it? One week from today is Christmas. Anybody else have a little bit of shopping to do over the course of the next week? Uh, speaking of that, I want to let you know that on Saturday, Christmas Eve, we're going to have Christmas Eve services here at 3 and 4.30. Those will both be candlelight services and there'll be kids involved. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of those on Christmas Eve at 3 and 4.30. And also a reminder, next Sunday on Christmas Day, we will just be having one big Christmas service at the Shakopee campus at 10 o'clock. So that's at the Shakopee campus at 10 o'clock uh, one week from today on Christmas Day for those who are able to join us. Well, it, it must be Christmas season because I believe that I tuned in and saw a little bit of a Christmas miracle yesterday. Uh, did anyone else catch any of this? It was, okay, maybe not a miracle, but uh, nothing short of astounding. Um, I've talked to a few people this morning who are like, I turned it off at halftime. Oh, I'm so sorry. Bummer. I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 57 and move through the end of Luke chapter 1 today as we are walking towards Jesus' birth together. And I'd love to ask you a question. Have you ever been lost in the dark? Imagine with me that you are wandering through a forest. And as you are making your way through the forest, by yourself, your phone dies. And it is a dark evening. The cloud cover is heavy. There is no light from the moon or the stars. And suddenly you realize you are stuck. No electronics, and it is pitch black. I mean, you, you can't see your hand in front of your face when you hold it up like this. You have no idea where to even take your next step, let alone where to go. You don't know where you are. You don't know how to get to a place where you would know where you are. And maybe worst of all, you know that there are things there in the woods who see better in the dark than you do. Right? What do you do? You sit down on the ground, filled with fear and discouragement, and you wait for those first light of the new day to come those first rays of light of the new day so that you can see where you are and where your next step will take you and how to get to some place. Have you ever been lost in the dark? For 400 years before Jesus came, Israel was lost in the dark. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to them through one of the prophets. Not only that, during that time, they were occupied by one powerful nation after another. There was some question about whether or not the nation of Israel would even survive the occupation that they were under 2,000 years ago with Rome. Some people within Israel wanted to fight Rome. Others within Israel just wanted to capitulate and become Roman. And all sorts of people in between those two extremes, the people were divided. They were leaderless, rudderless, without a word from the Lord. The people were in darkness. And then in the passage that we looked at two weeks ago, the angel Gabriel appeared on the scene and announced that light was coming. 
he first appeared to Zechariah and told him that his wife, who was barren, and what was the phrase that Jason told us to memorize? Uh, full of years? Was it something along those lines? Uh, he uses about me all the time. Matt, you're full of years. Uh, something along those lines. And, and so she was barren. She was in her old age. The angel says, she's going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be the promised forerunner of the Messiah. The promised forerunner, the, the Old Testament ended with a prophecy. The last few verses of the Old Testament are about this forerunner who would come before the promised Savior King. And Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, that promised forerunner is coming and it's going to be your child. More importantly, or maybe I should say most importantly, during all of this, the angel Gabriel appears to a young virgin and says, you're going to give birth to God with us. God in the flesh. Can you imagine? And so Mary goes to the home of her older relative, Elizabeth. They're there in the hills of Judea, and they spend a few months just nurturing the children that are growing within them. And in our passage today, it is time for Elizabeth's baby to be born. Verse 57 says that when John, who we know as John the Baptist, was born, all of her friends and neighbors gathered around, and they all celebrated. This, this old woman who was barren had a child, and everyone was rejoicing with her in this good news. Eight days into the baby's life, it comes time to circumcise and name the child. That eighth day, friends and family gather from all around for this ceremony in which they are going to circumcise John, in which they're going to give him that name. And as they all gather around, it is usually the father's responsibility to perform the circumcision there in the home. That is a task I would gladly pass off to someone else. I, I can't even draw a straight line, <laughs> let alone hand me a fillet knife and say, no, that, that just can't happen. That needs to be done by a professional. Eight, eight days in, they circumcise the child. It is also the naming day. And the custom is that the father will pronounce the name on behalf of the couple. But there's a problem with that. What's the problem? Zechariah is mute. He can't speak. Why can't he speak? He can't speak because the Lord has disciplined him. Because about nine months earlier, he stood in that holy place in the temple and an angel, Gabriel, appeared to him and gave him the word of the Lord and he didn't believe it. He didn't buy it. And so he has been disciplined by the Lord and he has been unable to speak this entire time. So it comes time for the baby to be named and he's not going to say anything. And so the family members, according to verse 59, all start to just call the baby Zachariah Jr. Makes sense. In this culture, often the babies were named, uh, boys were named after their father or one of their grandfathers. And so they're like, well, if he can't tell us, we're just going to assume that this is little Zach Jr. that we're dealing with here. And at this point, Elizabeth speaks up and she answers, no, he shall be called John. This is so emphatic in the Greek. It's really, no way. 
He shall be called John. That's what the angel said. That's God's directive for us. That will be his name. And all of those gathered friends and family around, they think that Elizabeth's off a rocker. There is nobody with the name John in either of their families, and they're like, what are you talking about? And so they go to Zechariah to appeal to him so that he will go ahead and overrule his wife in this situation. But of course, Zechariah can't speak. And so Zechariah asks that a writing tablet would be brought. And what does he write? His name is John. And they all wondered. Over the course of the last several months, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been communicating within their marriage, and the only way they've been able to communicate is with him writing on a tablet, communicating about God's promise, about the hope that there is in this baby, about the way that they have been blessed. They have been, she's been talking, he's been writing, they've been communicating, and now he has handed that tablet, and with these words of obedience that he writes, his tongue is loosed. And in the very next verse, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Blessing God. I want to take a moment just to pause and talk about God's discipline and hardship in our lives. Because Zechariah experienced God's discipline in his life. He, he didn't believe God, he disobeyed God, and because of that, God brought the discipline of being mute into his life. And the promise of God in the New Testament for his children is that when we leave the path that he has given to us, he will bring discipline as a good father into our lives. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines every one of his children because he loves them. Now, does he discipline all, all of us with muteness? No, absolutely not. Throughout the Bible, when God brings his discipline, it looks a little different in every situation. But the one thing that every one of his disciplines have in common is the removal of his blessing and hardship that comes with the removal of his blessing. For Zechariah, that means the inability to speak. Now, when we experience hardship and pain in our lives, Sometimes it is the Lord's discipline in our life, and the Bible says sometimes it isn't. But when we experience that hardship, there are two different ways we can go. One, we experience the hardship and pain, and our hearts get harder against the Lord. We grow bitter. Well, well look around. There's other people who are worse than me, and they're not having to go through what I'm having to go through. God, if you love me, you wouldn't be putting me through this. And we grow in bitterness and hardness of heart towards the Lord. This is particularly true if we have grown in our Christian life with a bad theology of suffering. If we have come to Christ under the message that if you come to Christ, he will make all things smooth for you in your life. All of your circumstances will be easy and wonderful, then as soon as they're not, as soon as that hardship and pain come, you go, God's a liar. When in fact, you've just believed promises that he never made. A proper understanding of suffering, a proper theology of suffering, is to understand that Christ invites us into his suffering in this life. 
that he tells his disciples, you will have suffering and tribulation. And according to Romans 8, chapter 17, he says, it is a blessing that you suffer with me because then you will experience glory with me. Right? That, that is an understanding of suffering that the Bible gives to us. If we have a false understanding, it can lead us to hardness of heart and bitterness towards the Lord when challenge and hardship come in our lives. One way we can go is to harden our hearts against the Lord when there's pain and when there's hardship. The other way we can go is to grow in soft-heartedness towards the Lord, to become more sensitive to our sin, to draw closer to Him and walk with Him through that hardship and challenge, and to become more repentant in our lives, deeper in our repentance. That's the way that Zechariah went. During these months of discipline and hardship from the Lord, he has grown softer towards the Lord. He has grown closer to the Lord. He has repented of the things that he has done. And we can see at the moment he opens his mouth, because the moment he opens his mouth, what comes out? He starts complaining about the months that God has sentenced him to silence, doesn't he? Nope. He starts to explain why the baby's going to be named John. Oh, you want an explanation? Here it is. Nope. The passage says the moment he opens his mouth, he starts blessing and praising the Lord. Because when the, the hardship and the pain comes on those who have a soft heart towards the Lord, we grow more sensitive to our sin, more repentant towards him, and we can't wait to get back to our daily business of praising and blessing the Lord in all circumstances. There is an old saying that says, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. Right? The same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. The same hardship and pain that causes some people to grow more bitter and hard-hearted towards the Lord causes some other people to grow more soft and tender towards the Lord and pulls them into greater intimacy with Him. That's what it does for Zechariah. And when Zechariah's tongue is loosed, he could speak again and the people hear his praises and his blessings. I'm sure at some point he begins to tell them all about his encounter with Gabriel and what Gabriel told him about this child. And they're all in wonder. We're told that they all feared the Lord. And they all began to wonder about what was ahead for this child. Then in verse 67, we read, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, now I cut it off there before we get to the prophecy, because I want to come back to sin and discipline again one more time real quickly. I want you to think about what had gone on in Zechariah's life before we go to the actual prophecy. Because he was a priest of God who got one shot, one shot to go and minister in that holy place. And while he was in there, an actual angel of the Lord, the messenger Gabriel, appeared before him with a message directly for him. And in his one shot, he didn't believe it. In his one shot, he didn't believe and walked out of there with discipline from God. It would be so easy at that point to say, yep, that was my shot. God gave me my shot and I messed it up. He's not going to want to use me at this point. And look, now I've got this challenge, this hardship. I can't speak anymore. God seems to be done with me here. And here we are a few months later. And what is happening in Zechariah's life? 
the Holy Spirit fills him, and he is the first official of Israel to prophesy to God's people in 400 years. It's so easy in our lives when we experience sin to say, well, God wouldn't use somebody like me in great ways. It's so easy to say, well, look at the hardship and the challenge I'm going through. God wouldn't be bringing me through this hardship if he really wanted to use me in some sort of great way. And Zechariah would say, absolutely not to both of those things. He would say, I I had my big shot and I failed. I went through months of discipline and challenge and it all prepared me for the way that God wanted to use me when His Holy Spirit dwelt within me and spoke His words to people. Whatever kind of sin you've been involved in, whatever kind of challenge and hardship you're facing, God wants you to understand this is not disqualifying you from whatever God has in front of you to do great things for His name and His kingdom. That is how He used Zechariah. Now on to the prophecy that Zechariah speaks. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God has visited his people. In Jesus, God in the very flesh came in order to dwell with his creation for a purpose. What was the purpose? To redeem and to save. You see it up there? He came to redeem and to save. He is the horn of salvation from the family line of David. There is something that we refer to as the Davidic covenant. God's covenant with David made a thousand years before Jesus. It's seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, in which God tells David, your son Solomon is going to sit on the throne, and then there will be a forever king who sits on the throne of Israel. And Zechariah here is saying, Jesus is the answer to the Davidic covenant. He is the ultimate fulfillment of that forever king that God promised to David a thousand years before. Ultimately, he will be the one under whom Israel is united and all of its enemies, and they'll be saved from all of their enemies. There was some question 2,000 years ago about whether Israel would even be able to continue on past the rule of the Roman Empire. And here Zechariah says, yes, they will continue on and they will have a forever king who rules over them and ultimately all of their enemies will be brought to bow before that king. Revelation chapter 19 says that ultimately this happens at Christ's second coming when he rides in on a white horse with his armies assembled behind him and every nation bows before him. Every enemy of the true Israel bows before Jesus Christ because he is King and Lord. This is a promise that is made and Jesus' coming fulfills that promise as King of Israel and it will ultimately be fulfilled at his second coming. But it is also fulfilled spiritually right now in us. Jesus' coming has overcome our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death. His his coming has overwhelmed our enemies and given us victory. Colossians chapter 2 says that in his coming, Jesus has disarmed our enemies and we have triumphed over them. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Because of the work of Jesus Christ, I am now victorious and been set free, redeemed from those punishments of sin that hung over my head. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the enemy now no longer has hold over me. We live in that freedom and we live in that salvation if we are his children. Thank God that he came to earth in Jesus to visit us so that we could be redeemed and we could be saved from our primary enemies, sin, Satan, and death. But in Zechariah's prophecy, we see even more than that. Not only is Jesus the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel 7, he is also the ultimate fulfillment of an older covenant, often referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. We see this in Zechariah's next words. Jesus came to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. God swore an oath to Abraham, made a covenant with him. In Genesis chapter 12, he told Abraham, a man who had no children, that he would have descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore. He told him that ultimately... All nations would be blessed through him. Then in Genesis chapter 15, he reiterated that covenant, and there was a symbol of that covenant that God put in place. There were a number of different animals cut in half, and they were spread out so that there was this pathway through the animals, a valley of blood or pathway of blood. The point of the way that this symbol worked within the covenant is the two people who are entering the covenant would walk through this pathway of blood together, both of them declaring to each other, we will fulfill this covenant or else let us be like these animals. But when it comes time for God and Abraham to walk through that pathway together, Abraham isn't asked to walk through the pathway. God walks through the pathway of blood alone. Because he knows that Abraham, like you and like me, can't fulfill his end of the covenant. And so God walks through on his own to say, I will fulfill my end of the covenant and I will fulfill your end of the covenant. Through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit within you, I will fulfill my end of the covenant and I will fulfill your end of the covenant. And God walks through alone. Then in Genesis 22, when Abraham is obedient and willing to sacrifice Isaac, God again reiterates this covenant promise, telling him that he will be a great people, that his descendants will have victory over all of their enemies, and that through his offspring which in Galatians, Paul says, think singular when you hear that word offspring, through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here Zechariah, powered by the Holy Spirit, prophesies that not only is Jesus the promised king and ruler of the Davidic covenant who will rule forever over his people, he is also the promised offspring of the Abrahamic covenant who will be, bring blessing to all of the nations. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, king and savior offspring who has come for his people. 
Because of that, we're a people who no longer have to live in fear. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what is to come. Because of the goodness of Jesus Christ and his salvation, we now live filled with hope. And we can live in holiness and righteousness because his spirit dwells within us. Before God, before Jesus saved me, I couldn't live for God even if I wanted to. And I didn't particularly want to. I was busy living for myself. But after Jesus saves, we get a new heart and a new spirit, which gives us a desire to do the things of God. Do we do them each and every time? No, we continue to grow in this throughout our lives. But we get this new desire and a new ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in righteousness and holiness and freedom from the temptations that have captured us. What good news there is in this. Now, in the final part of this passage and prophecy, Zechariah looks down at his little boy. And he says this as he looks at John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says, you, my son, will be the forerunner of the Savior King. And you will proclaim the message of salvation through that Savior. And the center of that message of salvation is the forgiveness of sins. That through the work of Jesus Christ, our sins can be totally and completely wiped away. That through the work of Jesus Christ, as far as the east is from the west, our sins can be removed from us. And Zechariah looks at his little son and says, you're going to be the forerunner who introduces the Savior and this amazing message of salvation that comes with him. That there is forgiveness of sins for his people. Jesus introduces, I'm sorry, Jesus brings this message of forgiveness because of the tender mercy of our God. Or as Ephesians chapter 2 puts it, the rich mercy of our God. Our God is loaded with mercy. And when he sees us in our sins, he looks at us at our worst. And while we were in our sins, Christ died for us to express that deep, passionate mercy of our God towards his people. What a blessing. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, through the work of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is possible. Whatever you have done, no matter how heinous your sins are, murder, infidelity, perversion, betrayal, Embezzlement, lying, jealousy, gossip, slander, judgment, whatever it is. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven because of God's great mercy. Israel without Jesus walked in darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 is quoted here. And it said, the people walked in darkness in the shadow of death. They were without the light to see where they should go. 
And then Jesus appeared as the dawn. Read these verses again with me. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't this the testimony of Israel and isn't also the testimony of your life and my life? Before Jesus, I walked in darkness. Before Jesus, I lived life my way, and that was darkness. And then when Jesus saved me, it was the dawn. The great light came into our lives, and suddenly we had the light that washes away all darkness, the light that washes away all fear in our lives. Suddenly we had the light by which we are guided in the directions that we should go, directions of love and mercy righteousness and holiness in our lives. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he says about us, his people, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. When Jesus rises over our lives, gone is the shadow of death. When Jesus rises over our lives, gone is the darkness that keeps us afraid. When Jesus rises over our lives, gone is the darkness of sin and selfishness, and instead, he brings light into our life and guides our feet. We see the light of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus revealed to us in his word. We see it day in and day out as we open his word, and we read and meet with God, the light of God shines into our lives through the goodness of the Word of God. And because of that, we, we want to encourage all of you as we approach a new year, two weeks away from New Year's Day, right? We want to encourage all of you to prayerfully consider entering into a daily Bible reading plan with the Lord, spending time with Him each and every day of 2023. We even have a, a particular plan that we are encouraging anyone and everyone here at Friendship Church to enter into with us. That Bible reading plan can be found on our website. It can be found on our app. As you're on your way out today, the ushers will hand you a sheet that has a link and all the scriptures on it. We want to encourage you to enter into this Bible reading plan with us because we believe the light of God shines through his word as the Holy Spirit presses it upon our lives. We picked this particular Bible reading plan, which brings you through four very short scriptures each day from four different parts of the Bible, because it also comes with devotional readings by uh, a trusted scholar named D.A. Carson, who has written devotionals that explain some of the difficult passages to us or help encourage us to enter into worship. And so you can read those passages, and if you want, you can dig into the devotionals that he has written about all of those chapters that are a part of that reading. The devotionals, we, we didn't print all of those for you. 
That would be hundreds of pages for each and every one of you. You have to go to the website or onto the link in order to find those devotionals. But I'd encourage all of you as we enter into 2023 to dedicate yourselves to spending time digging into the light of God through His Word. Digging in to spend time with Abba, Father there, experiencing His love and His goodness and His mercy growing in his righteousness and his holiness together.